0: So, oh, look, we're going to plow here this morning. Uh, this is our third message in the kingdom of God. Uh, so why don't you open up your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 4. We're going to be looking at the kingdom message and the one that Jesus brings to us. Uh, in the past couple of weeks, we have been looking, uh, we've looked at the kingdom message in Exodus and we've looked at the kingdom message in the prophets. And then this morning, we're going to be, we're going to be in the promised son, Jesus, Luke chapter 4. One of the things we've been doing by searching the scriptures, by starting in Exodus, working through the prophets, and now arriving in the Gospels this morning, one of the things we've been doing is that we've noticed through through just taking a survey of the scriptures that the kingdom of God, this this message of the kingdom, it's it's a it's a thread that's woven through the entire scripture, and it's a thread that's woven in such a dynamic and perfect way that it it, it comes about it comes about by simply a work of the Holy Spirit. It, it's it's foundational to the revelation of God. Anytime God reveals himself, part and parcel with the revelation that he gives is that there'll be a revelation of the kingdom. It's, it's, it's not just that there's a God in heaven, but there's, that there's a government that he wants to, be, uh, that he wants to make known. There's a, there's a rule and there's a reign. And um, I wanna, we want to preach this, uh, this series to you guys because one of the things that we've realized here, and, and it's, not, it's nothing new, it's one of the things I really want to get across is, that this this message is really nothing new to us it's been with us for the 13 years of our church but we put such an emphasis on the kingdom of god around here because it's the emphasis that jesus put in his message you know if you grow up in kentucky if you grow up in the bible belt if you grow up in the south you know if you if you grew up if you were drug up in church probably a, a lot of you you know if i were to ask you what was the what is the central message of jesus most people would say well you know forgiveness of sin or you know heaven instead of hell and, and the truth of the matter is, forgiveness of sin in heaven instead of hell is not the central message of Jesus. They're key components of the central message of Jesus. They're key components that I'm betting my life on, and most of you guys in here are as well, but they're not the central message of Jesus. The central message of Jesus is kingdom of God. If you just, even for a second, take a survey through, uh, through whatever knowledge you have of the gospels, you'll, you'll realize really quickly that anytime Jesus tells a parable, teaches a parable, He's teaching parables about the kingdom. And at one point, Jesus, he kicks a devil out of a little boy. And when he does, he, he looks at the Pharisees and he says, You know, look, guys, if, if I, by the Spirit of God, cast out devils, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And so there's this, there's this dynamic that, that Jesus' words were, were connected to the kingdom. Not just his words, but the things that he did were connected to the kingdom. And we've seen this all the way through the scriptures. And so we're just going to review real quick here. Uh, because I know there are several people who weren't with us the whole way. Um, But before we review, I I want us to grab a hold of two things. The first thing I want us to grab a hold of is this, that the kingdom of God has always been God's plan. You know, it may sound new to you this morning. It may be a new thing for you. If you've been hanging out with the vineyard for the past six or seven months, you may think, wow, they talk about the kingdom all the time. I've never heard of it in my life. It's really not a new thing. It's always been his plan. And the second thing I want you to realize is that God's kingdom is the best thing for you and it's the best thing for me. And we're going we're gonna to see that. The more, the more that we investigate this thing, we're going to see it. So I want to I wanna review just uh, week one real quick here. In week, week one, we looked, at, uh, we looked at the Exodus account, this Exodus, Exodus narrative. And that's where, uh, you guys already know this, that's where the people of Israel, they were in slavery to Pharaoh and to Egypt and to the demonic culture that ruled that, ruled that area. And God, this is what God says, he reveals himself to Moses in the burning bush. Moses says, well, who am I going to tell them? That's sending me, and, and God speaks to him His personal and His intimate name. He says, "You tell him the I Am is sending you." And it's not just that that Moses meets the Great I Am. There's this. There's this other revelation that Moses gets, in, in when he meets the God, and when he meets God in um, Exodus three, and it's that, that it's this uh, it's this revelation that God is the God who hears, who sees, and who intervenes. If you go back to if you go back to Exodus chapter three and look at verse seven, God says of Himself. I have heard my people, I have seen their distress, and now I'm coming down to rescue them. Look, at this is what it says. The Lord says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard of them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. And so God is, he's not just this great I am, but he's the God who sees, who hears, and who intervenes. And it's one of the, it's one of the fundamental messages of the kingdom. He sees, he hears, and he intervenes. And so that's, that's one of the foundational revelations of the kingdom is that God really cares. He's not just this austere king who accepts worship, but that he really cares and he comes down into, into situations and he makes things right. Um, not only does he make things right, not only does he take people out of slavery, but he delivers them into something and he, he, makes, people, he makes people free, he makes them prosper and he gives them a future. Right along with the uh, Exodus event, one of the things that we saw was that the kingdom of God... Is a person. The kingdom of God is an event. And that's one of the things I want us to really grab a hold of in this series is that the kingdom of God is an event. You know, kingdoms, the kingdoms of this world, they, they, they are fundamentally known by the territories and the boundaries in which they are contained. You know what I'm saying? You know, uh, there's, there's the United States, and, you know, you know, down to the south, we have a, a border with Mexico, and to the north, we have a border with Canada, and anything between those two is the United States. The kingdom of God doesn't work like that. The kingdom of God is a person. It's a king. The kingdom of God is an event. It's the inbreaking of God's rule and reign into situations, and because of that, the kingdom of God supersedes all boundaries. It supersedes all borders. Borders and boundaries can't contain it. It can flood into any border. It can flood into any boundary, and God's rule and reign can be established anywhere. That's really good news. It's really good news. Here's the best part about that kind of news. The fact that God's kingdom is, is limitless and can, and can break into any rule, can break into any boundary and any border. It's really simple for us. If we want to experience the kingdom of God, all we have to do is make him king. Just, just, just give him over. Let, let him become the subject. Let him be king. So that's what we saw. And, after uh, in Exodus, the the climax of Exodus happens in uh, chapter fifteen, verse eighteen, and that's when the the children of Israel have gone through water, water on the left, water on the right, dry ground in the middle, and and there's dead bodies everywhere. Egyptians are dead; they've floated up on the seashore, and so Moses and and Miriam and and everybody who's who walked through that campaign they break out in song, and the climax of the song is. Exodus 15:18, and they begin to sing, The Lord will reign forever and ever. And so this is this explicit mention of the kingdom. Up to this point, it's been implicit. It's been implied. It's been concealed. It's been hidden. But at this point, the kingdom of God, it breaks in an explicit manner. And everyone, all the people who have been delivered, they realize that the Lord, he is king. So that's kingdom of God in, in the Exodus. Last week, Ray preached a really great sermon on, on the kingdom of God and the prophets, and specifically the kingdom of God in Isaiah. And uh, if, you, if you missed last week, be sure to go online, download it. It's really good. And so last week, we looked at the kingdom of God and the prophets because, because this is one of the things that makes the prophets so important to us. The prophets, they, they, they keep the vision of the kingdom alive, when the children of Israel, when the nation of Israel was was experiencing a time of decline, when Israel was was suffering under uh, suffering under uh, foreign rulers again, when when uh, when Babylon had come in and sacked the temple, and and the, and the people no longer no longer ruled their own lives, and they were um, they were they were under control by other people, uh, you know, most of them lost heart, and this so this hope for the for the kingdom began to dissipate, except that God would speak to the prophets, and they would they would get visions of the kingdom. And they they maintained it, and that's one of the that's one of the important things about prophetic people is that, regardless of what situations are, they keep a vision for what God's what, what God's doing, and they keep a vision for the kingdom. And uh, as Ray says, uh, he says this: he says that uh, Isaiah is the IMAX view uh, of the kingdom. He, he's the prophet who gives us the IMAX view of the kingdom more than any other prophet. Isaiah has a view of the kingdom that's from beginning to end, and it's at the beginning of Isaiah's ministry. You guys remember Isaiah chapter six? What's the first thing that? that Isaiah happens when he gets called by the Lord. Who does he see? He sees the king, you know? Y'all know that passage? Isaiah 6. He sees the king, you know, man, I'm I'm a I'm an unclean man and I'm I'm from a people who are unclean just like me and he he sees the temple filled with with the with the train of God's glory. And so his his very own ministry it's kicked off by an encounter with the king. Then he goes on um, and he, and he just has these fantastic prophecies that he puts out and one of them that really blows my mind happens in chapter 11. He says that when God's kingdom breaks in, there's going to be such peace. There's going, to be, there's going to be such an exchange of values in the world that literally nature will change. And because of that, the lion will lay down with the calf. And kids will pick up cobras. I mean, literally, that, that is one day going to happen. The kingdom of God is going to come, and there's going to be such peace. That even enmity between animals and, and people and animals, even nature is going to respond to the rule and the reign of God. I want to read one little piece of scripture to you from, uh, from the book of Isaiah, just because it's been, it's been rocking my world here lately. And it's out of uh, Isaiah chapter 32, uh, verse 17. I think Marcus is going to put it up. This is, this, is what the kingdom of, this is what the kingdom looks like when it comes and it encounters a people. He writes, The fruit of righteousness will be peace, and the effect of righteousness will be quietness, and confidence forever. My people will live in peaceful dwelling places, in secure homes, in undisturbed places of rests. Though hell flattens the forest, the city is level completely. How blessed you will be sowing your seed by every stream and letting your cattle and donkeys rage free. Isn't that good? That is so good. I mean I mean that we're such we're so blessed here in America. Most of us most of us live in, in peaceful homes. I mean, for the most part, the most Un, the most disturbed that any of us uh, become at our homes is maybe like, you know, family dinners at Thanksgiving, and you know, the aunts and uncles that we don't like come over, and, and they bring their kids who are just terrors, and but for the most part, we live in a place of peace, and, and what I want to tell you is, you know, we've traveled a little bit here, and, and we've gone to other countries, and, and it's not that way, and so this is, this is a great view of the kingdom. When the kingdom of God comes, it affects everything, and it even gives his people awesome places to live, and it we can just let our cattle go, and we don't have to worry about it. Isn't that good? See, one of the things I see here is I see, a lack of, I see a lack of anxiety, and I see a lack of concern, and I see a lack of worry. And one of the things I know about our culture in particular, even though we live in safe homes, is that we're people who are filled with anxiety, worry, and a lack of confidence. So when the kingdom breaks in, this kind of stuff gets established, and, man, it's what we need. So in Isaiah, we see the form of God's coming kingdom and we see the instrument that God's kingdom would come through and the instrument that the kingdom would come through is Jesus. And uh, last week, Ray specifically, he took us through chapter nine, which is a really famous Christmas type passage, you know, and the government will be on his shoulders and all that. And um, in Isaiah chapter nine, what we get is we get this form of the kingdom and as well we get the instrument. Uh, Marcus, go ahead and put up Isaiah chapter nine, verse five. See, in, in, in chapter 9, verse 5, we get, we, get another, we get another picture of the form of the kingdom. When the kingdom of God comes, it's like this. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and it will be fuel for fire. There's going to be peace that comes with God's kingdom. And it's not just the absence of conflict. It's going to be inheritance and prosperity as well. So that's, that's a picture of the form of God's kingdom. But that's not all. Next, next verse, please, Marcus. For unto us a child is born. To us, the Son is given, and the government will be on His shoulders, and He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You see, here in the prophets, what we see is that there's a form of the kingdom. He's got vision. He sees the form of the kingdom, but not just the form of the kingdom. He sees the instrument through which the kingdom comes. And the instrument through which the kingdom comes is a person. Remember what we were talking about in Exodus? The kingdom of God is a person, the kingdom of God is an event. The kingdom of God is not a boundary or a border. It supersedes those. And so here's what we've got. Isaiah is saying, man, the kingdom of God is coming. There's a form. It's going to bring radical peace. And the, and the peace is going to be brought by a person, and it's Jesus. So that gets us up to where we are today, Luke chapter 4. We're we'll going to read some verses here. Let's pick up in uh, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 14, and uh, we're going to read for a little while. Y'all there? Say, uh-huh. All right, uh, chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus returned to Nazareth in the power of the Spirit. And if you've got a pen, just underline that. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. And then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Man, let's ask the Lord to bless this. Is that all right? Father, we need you this morning, and I ask specifically, God, that you would deliver us from more information. God, would you deliver us from this just you know, this being some sort of a Bible study where we learn more things about Jesus? God, we, we, we just confess to you that we already know too much and we do too little. And, and Father, we ask that you, would, that you would empower our hearts, that you would encounter the core of who we are with your word this this morning. Father, just in the name of Jesus, I, just, I, I bind up a spectator spirit in the room. And, Father, I, I ask that you would release us into encounter this morning. Father, I, I just bind up lukewarmness, and I ask that you would cause passion and, and, and fire to fall on us all, God. Father, would you you cause our hearts to be open and ready to respond to your good word this morning? Thanks, Lord. Amen. Amen. So what's happening here is this. This is pretty much the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's been doing a few things, but not very much. Uh, We learned from the first couple verses there, maybe in 14, that Jesus has already been out. He's maybe healed a few sick people. He's, He's begun to preach his kingdom message, and his kingdom message works like this. Repent, because the kingdom of heaven is near. And because of the few things that he's already done, he's beginning to get a reputation. And um, before he gets very much more of a reputation, Jesus decides, well, I'm going to go home to my home people, and I'm going to give them the kingdom message. And so he shows up at the synagogue, and he unrolls uh, unrolls, uh, Isaiah. In fact, this is what happens, and this is one of the things I actually really love about this scripture. It's in verse 17. It says that Jesus went to the synagogue, as was his custom, and then someone hands him the scroll of Isaiah, okay? I want you all to get this. Someone else chooses Isaiah. There's like providence all over this, okay? The, the leader of the synagogue, whoever this dude was who did it every day, he pulls out Isaiah. He says, this is what we're going to do today, and he hands it to Jesus. But then what does Jesus do? Jesus chooses where he's going to read from. And so one of the things, even though it has really little to do with our message this morning, one of the things I, I want to tell us because we're a people with calling and destiny is this. There's, this. there's this place, and this is a perfect picture of it, where, where opportunity and destiny meet. You see, somebody hands you the scroll of Isaiah, you know what you're called to do, and you roll out to the point where you're supposed to preach from. You know what I'm saying? I mean, at some point in your life, you have to realize what the opportunities are. Jesus went home for a reason, and providence, uh, providence came calling, and it hands him the scroll, and he pulls out to the part of his destiny, you know? It's just like, in, it's just like when Joseph was, was uh, interpreting dreams, and he, and he tells Pharaoh after he's interpreted the dream, and Pharaoh says, hey, what should we do? Joseph says, well, you should find a man of wisdom and put him in charge of everything, you know? I'm the man of wisdom. There's a point at which when you know that you're a person of destiny, when you know that you have calling, there's a point at which you need to have a little courage and just to step and take the scroll and pull down to where you're supposed to be. You know, not just, it's not just Isaiah chapter 1, it's Isaiah chapter 61. You know, there's a place where there's a place where providence and destiny meet, and and that's what one of the things that I want us to see here. Even in verse 17, this is a this is a place where providence and destiny meet. And so Jesus, he reads from the IMAX prophet of the kingdom, Isaiah 61, and this is what I want us to get this morning. When Jesus is preaching to his own people, this is his inaugural address. Okay, y'all remember back in January we had an an inaugural uh, inauguration for uh, for the president of the United States and. When, when a president becomes president, he's not president until he gives his inaugural speech and puts his hand on the Bible, right? And uh, one of the things I want us to know right, notice right off the bat is this, that Jesus' inaugural speech is dramatically short, especially when we you know, compare it to, say, like Barack Obama and all the famous ones that have happened. You know, most of the times the president, when they get up to, to lay out their vision for the country, it takes, like, what, at least an hour, right? And it's, and it's words that half of us don't even understand. Jesus, he gets it in about six lines. This is his inaugural address. This is, this is the way he's going to kick off his ministry. And this is the way that he's going to outline who he is and the highlights of what he wants to accomplish in his kingdom ministry. See, that's what you do in an inaugural speech. You outline the highlights of what you want to accomplish, the vision to which you're calling the country to. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, guys, this is, this is the bar we're going to. And, and at the same time, this is what I want you to realize that's in the room. In the room, while Jesus is speaking, there's already begun to be this buzz about, okay? He, his, his reputation is, is beginning to emerge. And so, so Jesus is beginning to become known as maybe a healer. Something's out there, something shady, something funny. But at the same time, while, while people are beginning to embrace this, this buzz that's coming around Jesus' ministry, the thing I want you to realize is this, that at the very same time, these are people that Jesus lived with for 30 years, okay? So I want you to feel the tension here. Jesus is he's out doing some things, and, and maybe you've heard from a neighbor that, that, that he went down to a wedding in Cana, and he, and he turned some water into wine. You know, Maybe that story's starting to, to catch up with him. And, and at the same time, people are having to deal with the fact that this is the Jesus that they lived with for 30 years. In fact, some of the people in the room probably went home and ate dinner at tables that Jesus and his dad made. And so there's this tension, and they're, they're thinking, okay, he turns his water into wine, but I go home, and I put my hands on the table that he and his dad made. Isn't this the carpenter? And so there's this tension in the room, and we have to really get a view of this, all right? There's tension in the room because they knew him. Sometimes being known is awesome. Sometimes being known is awful. And this passage shows us a little bit of both. But in verse 18, Jesus, he begins in the prophet of Isaiah, in verse 18, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me. And I want to stop right there, because this is huge. The first verse here, it outlines who Jesus is. Jesus is saying something about himself in in this first verse of Isaiah that he's quoting to the people. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. And what I want us to know is this that that word anoint is is huge. It carries so much weight in the Scripture. Now, we throw it away, you know, we're kind of a charismatic church, so we talk about, you know, things being anointed or not anointed all the time. And, you know, the word has become kind of a 10-cent word around here. But at least in these days, the word anoint or the word anointing is a heavy-duty word. And here's why. Because in all of the Scripture, there's only four things that get anointed. There's four things that get anointed. The first thing that gets anointed are priests. Priests get anointed. Do you guys remember when Aaron and his sons became priests? The Lord says, I want you to anoint Aaron and his son as priests to me for all generations. And so they strip Aaron naked in front of everyone. They wash him with water. They put white robes on him, and then they they anoint him with oil. So priests get anointed. The other thing that gets anointed is the temple. Everything that's in the temple. All the furniture, everything, all the utensils that minister before the Lord, that gets anointed with oil. The third thing that gets anointed are prophets. Y'all remember Elijah and Elisha? Elijah's out doing his thing. Elijah comes to him. The Lord speaks to Elijah and says, I want you to anoint Elisha as your successor. He takes out oil, pours it on his head. The fourth thing that gets anointed in Scripture are kings. And so when Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me, he's making a kingly reference, and I want us to see that. He's making a kingly reference. This is the inauguration speech of the kingdom. And so the first thing that Jesus is saying is, I am king. And it would have been shocking to everyone in the room, especially when he said, today these words are fulfilled in me. At that point, everyone in the room would say, hang on. He's saying at least he's a prophet, priest, temple, or king. He's saying at least that. Can I tell you all something? Jesus is prophet, priest, temple, and king. This stuff whacks me out. I mean, you start studying this stuff and you think, man, this is a story that's too good. No man could have written this. The Holy Spirit has constructed this through the Scripture. So four things get anointed in the Old Testament. Prophets, priests, temples, and kings. That's it. And in Jesus, we know for a fact that he is a prophet. You all remember John chapter 4? He gives a woman a word of knowledge. He says, man, surely you're a prophet. He's a priest. book of Hebrews says that Jesus is our high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus Jesus tells the guys at the temple one day, you guys tear this thing down, and I'll raise it up in 3 days. Jesus is the new temple that came out of heaven. And he's king. He's king of kings and he's lord of lords. And so Jesus in that first verse in verse 18 there, he's saying something about himself. He's saying that I'm the anointed one and and here's the here's the deal. Anointed means it means a couple things. The main thing it means is this is it means to smear it's this it carries this idea that you get you get something rubbed all over you it means to smear in fact in the hebrew though it it has an extra little connotation and it means to use such a strange word it means to smear so jesus is telling everyone i'm the i'm the prophet priest temple king who's been smeared smeared with what the holy spirit he says the spirit of the lord is on me because he's anointed me and i want to show you guys something from scripture to be anointed is the same thing as to have the Holy Spirit on you. The anointing is just the outward sign of the invisible reality that God is with someone. You guys remember David and, and, and Saul? All right. Um, Marcus, why don't you put up 1 Samuel chapter 10. You guys don't have to turn there. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 1. This is when Samuel anoints Saul. He says, Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying... Has not the Lord anointed you leader over his inheritance? You can go on to the next one. Chapter 10, verse 5 and 6. Technology's awesome, you know. So in in chapter chapter 10, verse 1, we see that Saul gets anointed by Samuel. Now look, this is what Samuel tells him. He says, after you go to Gibeah of God... Where, the Philistines, where there's a Philistine outpost, as you approach the town, you'll meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high places with lyres, tambourines, flutes, and harps being played before them, and they'll be prophesying. And the Spirit of the Lord will come on you in power, and you will prophesy with them, and you'll be changed into a different person. See, there's this connection in the, in, in the Scripture between the anointing that you receive and the effect of the Spirit on you. And here's the deal: It's not just that the Spirit is with you or in you; it's that it's on you. Remember that word "anoint" means to smear. It's on the outside. It's not just that. It's not just that the Holy Spirit fills you up on the inside. It's not just that the Holy Spirit becomes a seal and a guarantee before the Father. You know, most of us are comfortable with that language. It's that to be anointed in, in, in biblical sense is to have the Holy Spirit on the outside, which which means it's it's to it's to have an encounter with everything. That you come into contact with. It's that every everything that I pick up encounters the encounters the anointing and it counters encounters it the effect of the Holy Spirit. This is a big word. Let's move on to the next one. This is David's anointing. This is uh, this is chapter 16. And then Samuel, he took a he took a horn of oil and he anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And I love this. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. And so Samuel then went to Ramah. Y'all see this connection? If you get anointed in Scripture, Holy Spirit comes on in power. Holy Spirit comes on in power. And so one of the things that we see both from the Old Testament and here in, in, in Luke chapter 4 is that it's, it's the first step in, in the advancement of the kingdom is for there to be an anointing. Okay, the first step is for anyone to advance in the kingdom is there must be an anointing after the anointing There's an announcement and so what we're looking at this morning is we're looking at the announcement That jesus gives and you might well, you might think well then adam. Where's the where's the anointing? Well You'd have to turn your bible back one page and it's at the baptism Of jesus y'all remember jesus he gets baptized by john This is chapter 3 verse 21 if you want to turn there and this is what it says It says when all the people were being baptized Jesus was baptized too, and as he was praying, heaven was opened up, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And then Jesus gets, gets launched into ministry. So Jesus got anointed at the, day that he, that, at the day that he was baptized. Heaven was opened up, Holy Spirit comes on, doesn't just come on, In another gospel it says comes on and remains. He got smeared when he got baptized that day. I want to tell you all something. One of my hopes and desires is that when we baptize people over here, Holy Spirit open, heavens open up, Holy Spirit comes down, and they get smeared for the rest of their life. Not just on the inside, but on the outside. Another interesting thing is this. In the Old Testament, if you're going to be a king, you get anointed by a prophet. And so here we have Jesus in chapter 3 submitting to John the Baptist's ministry, the prophet's ministry, and anointing comes. So encountering anointing often means encountering the prophets. And so, you know, we just, Jesus, he, he submits to the, the ministry of John, even though he didn't need to, or even though he didn't have to, it seems like he submits to the ministry of John. He goes in baptismal waters. When he comes out, heaven's opened up, Holy Spirit comes on and remains. And so Jesus's next ministry actions are kicking out devils and preaching. And then he ends up here at his hometown and he gives them the kingdom announcement. So the kingdom announcement starts off with, with, with just some truth about who I am. Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me. And so this is a kingly reference. I'm anointed, Holy Spirit's on me. Now the rest of Jesus' inaugural speech has to do with effect or the kind of kingdom that he's come to bring. It's the nature of the king and the nature of the kingdom. And this is what he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me and he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so we'll just look at these real quick. Jesus and the anointing that he has, the, the king and the anointing that he brings, the king and the kingdom. When they come, one of the first things that happens is that that good news gets preached to the gets preached to the poor. And, and this is this is just the beginning of an upside-down kingdom. You know, we talk about that all the time here at the Vineyard, that the, the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. It doesn't work like the kingdoms of this world. And so when Jesus shows up with all authority, with all power, with the Father's approval and with the Holy Spirit on his life, he, he says that the kingdom of God looks like this, I'm going to preach good news to the poor. You realize most kings, even this day, even though there's not many kings left, but especially in that day, most kings... They did what? They made, they made their living off the backs of the poor. They, 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 they established their throne on the backs of the masses. And Jesus says, no, that's not the way it works. When the kingdom comes, we, we preach good news to the poor. We preach encouragement to the poor. Kingdom is going to be something different. And he goes on and he says, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. And, and as I was reading that this week, it just I, I had to stop and I had to think, what kind of king what kind of king releases prisoners? You know, what kind of king releases prisoners? Aren't kings supposed to take prisoners? And, and that's the whole thing here, because one of the things that we've seen both in Exodus and, in, and even in Isaiah is that when the kingdom comes, there's confrontation. When Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go, God was establishing a kingdom and there was a confrontation. There was a collision of powers. There was, there was a transfer of people, literal people, from one kingdom to another. And Jesus says, when I show up, I'm not, coming, I'm not coming to oppress people. I'm not coming to take prisoners. I'm coming to set prisoners free. And so there's a fundamental difference between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdoms of our God. And one of the, one of the fundamental differences is, is that the kingdom of God, wherever it shows up, it brings freedom. Everywhere it just brings freedom. And Jesus goes on to say, let me say this. When the kingdom of God comes, you don't just get out of jail. But your record, the one that landed you in prison, gets expunged, atoned for, forgiven. Not only that, but your taskmasters get a new assignment. And when the kingdom comes, it's holistic renewal. It's holistic. It's, 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 not just, it's not just that there's a heavy weight off of you now. It's, it's all the way through you. You know, one of the things that's happened, uh, especially in our, in our day and in our culture, is that the kingdom of God is, 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 has been reduced from the gospel of the kingdom of God just to the gospel. And to re, so to reduce the gospel of the kingdom of God just to the gospel is like, is like reducing, reducing shalom to just peace. You know, Shalom is not just peace. It's not just the absence of scary feelings. It's it's the blessing of the Lord. And so when the kingdom comes, there's holistic renewal. And this is this is the kind of king we have. This is the kind of king. Proclaim freedom to the prisoners. Number three, recovery of sight to the blind. You see, when the kingdom comes, it's more, it comes with more than promises. It comes with it, the kingdom is more than a message. It begins with a message, but the kingdom is more than a message, and it's more than a promise. When the kingdom comes, there are actual effects, and one of the actual effects is healing. One of the things that marked Jesus' ministry from the beginning of the Gospels to the very end is a dynamic healing ministry, and it followed him everywhere he went. And it's one of the reasons that he had great crowds is because people knew, if I could just get around the Lord, if I just if I just touch his, the hem of his garment, then, then I'll be made whole. If I just... If if he can just speak the word, I don't even have to touch him. If If I can just get him to pay attention to me, if I can just get a word from him, if he'll just speak the word, then it's over. And so the kingdom of God is more than promises, it's effect. So when the kingdom comes, blind eyes open, and healing is a marker of the kingdom. And it's not just physical healing, it's emotional healing, and it's spiritual healing. One of the other things I love about this is, is this, little, this little nugget. Um, yeah, nugget. When Aaron and his brothers, when they were anointed with oil, when they were stripped naked, washed with water, un- reclothed, brought before everybody in Israel, and anointed with oil to be priests forever, one of the things the Lord told them is this. He says, Aaron, you and your sons are going to be my priests for all generations. Every one of you, you're you priest. You you know you don't do anything else. You're priest. You serve me, and then the Lord adds this little caveat, and He says, "But if any of you are blind, if any of you are lame, if any of you are are uh, maimed, if you have any sort of defect, physical defect, any any sort of mental defect, you can't he, that that person can't minister before me." And so there was this separation, even from God's chosen priests, the ones who were the ones that he wants to bring before them. God says, you know, if you're, if you're blind, lame, maimed, you got, a, you got some sort of physical problem, you know, you got some sort of mental problem, then you can't come before me. And, and I love what Jesus is saying here. He says, I'm the anointed one. I'm prophet, priest, temple king. I bring the kingdom, and when the kingdom comes, it's recovery of sight to the blind. It's recapturing what was lost. It's recapturing the separated. It's so, so awesome. And then finally, Jesus says, to release the oppressed. You know, a fundamental revelation of the kingdom of God is freedom. It's a fundamental revelation of the kingdom of God. Paul says in Second Corinthians chapter 3, he says, the spirit of the Lord. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. It's just a fundamental reality in the kingdom. Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there'll be there'll be freedom. Um and so Jesus shows up in his hometown and he says, You know, when I come and I bring my, my kingdom, it's gonna set people free. Freedom for the oppressed. And and you know, um Bob Dylan was right. He really was right. You're gonna serve somebody. You know, and it might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you're gonna serve somebody. And um, and even in the room this morning, you know, and this is coming from zero prophetic insight. It's coming from just doing ministry for seven or eight years. One of the things I know is that there's more than a handful of people in here who are just oppressed. And one of the ways you know you're oppressed is when the person or the thing you're serving isn't leading to abundant life. I mean, we can, we can classify it a lot of different ways. But if the, thing, if the thing that, if the rat race and the hamster wheel that you're running on isn't leading to abundant life, then it's oppression. And that takes all kinds of different forms one of the foundational elements of the kingdom is that when it shows up, it'll get you off that hamster wheel. So one of the things the Lord wants to do this morning, the one of the things He's going to do is He's going to get people off the hamster wheel this morning. That should be good news for some people. It's really good news. To release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And, And so that last little phrase, it's a, it's a reference to the year of Jubilee. So when the kingdom comes, it's like Jubilee year happens. It, it's, it's, it's that year that happens once a generation when, when all debts are canceled and when all familial lands get returned back to their original family. And even if you've been like a giant idiot, this is one of the cool things about year of Jubilee. Let's say you've been just an enormous idiot for like 49 years, okay? Ray says he has been. This is good news. This going to be really good news for you then, right? If you've been just an enormous idiot your entire life, there, there was this year called the year of Jubilee when everything, the control-alt-delete button gets pushed, and, and all the debts get canceled. You know, all the credit card bills, they go away. Uh, you know, you, know, you, you, know you, were, you inherited your dad's farm, and then, you know, you just, you just did foolish things, and you sold your dad's farm off bit by bit to people who didn't, who didn't treat it right. And, and then the next thing you know, you end up with nothing. Let's just say you've been a giant idiot. You know, Jubilee comes, and it's Control-Alt-Delete. Everything gets back to the original owner. And so Jesus says, when I come, when I come with my anointing, when the Holy Spirit comes with me, and I show up to the place, I'm here for the idiots, and we're going to cancel all the debts. We're going to cancel all the debts, all the trouble you got into, all the ways that you gave away your your ancestral land. We're going to give it back. Isn't that a good word? Remember one of the things I told you at the beginning of this message was that the kingdom of God is best for you and me. Are we beginning to see that? Yeah, you know, one of the attitudes that exists, especially especially in, in, even in the church, you know, people who are supposed to know the Lord, one of the attitudes that exists is, you know, man, I want Jesus to forgive my sin. I want him to keep me out of hell. But, man, when it comes to, you know, me following him as a disciple, when it comes to me hearing the hard word and getting in line, then we want to buckle up and bristle just a little bit, and that rebellious things comes on us. And what it really says is, I don't believe the king or his kingdom is best for me. And, you know, we could, we could beat that up all day long, and, you know, I don't want to do that. But even now, it lands on some of us, and we go, ugh, it's me. But what I really want you to know is the kingdom of heaven and the king who rules that kingdom is really the best thing for you it's really the best thing for you. Not just for your blind eyeballs and not just for your idiotic business moves. It's, it's really the best thing for you. To proclaim a year of the Lord's favor. Let's go on. Verse 22. Then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That would have been absolutely shocking to everyone in the room. And all spoke well of him. And they were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips. Stop right there. You see, they weren't, they they missed something here. They weren't amazed. They weren't, they weren't, they weren't captured by the kingdom. They were just captured by his ability to proclaim the kingdom. You know? And 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 you know, this exists today a lot of times too, you know. One of the things that happens is we come to church and we go, we just get in evaluation mode. You know? Worship was good or worship was not good, it works for me, or it doesn't work for me. The guitars are too loud, the pianos are too soft, the harmonies are too high, the drums are too big. We get an evaluation mode, and or you know that preacher is really good; he knows how to bring the pain. Or that preacher is boring; he drives me bonkers. Or, you know, y'all know what I'm talking about. The evaluation goes on and on and on. And so what happens is Jesus shows up; he's kind of you know a lost son. He shows back up into the temple. The carpenter shows up and he begins to to preach. And there's there's presence with him. And so what they do is they mistake presence for just great presentation. They and they're amazed at his. They're amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips. And they, they, they missed the fact that he came to bring freedom. And that's a, that's a travesty. And they missed the fact that he came to, to bring freedom. And, 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 and then they said, well, isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. And here's what I think happened. I think they got completely, I think they were completely blown away that Jesus was able to communicate the way they were. They missed the power of the kingdom of heaven message that he was bringing to them. And they begin to say, isn't it Joseph's son? And they were thinking things like, hang on here, isn't his mom, she got pregnant out of wedlock. And he's saying he's the anointed one. Isn't this Joseph's son? And they missed it. They missed it. They confused confused the, the presence and the empowering nature of the Holy Spirit for just some gracious words, and they miss the power of the kingdom, and they got then they begin to get locked up in the past, and they they begin to get locked up in, in who Jesus was and who he's always been. And isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't his mom the woman who you know who had sex when she was fifteen and had a had a baby out of wedlock? Isn't that, I mean, isn't that this guy? This guy is the anointed one? Are you kidding me? And then Jesus, he takes it to them and he says, Surely you're going to quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself, do in your hometown what we have heard you did in Capernaum. In case you didn't catch that, Jesus is taking it up a notch, so he just comes right back at them. Then Jesus drives the dagger and he says, I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his hometown, I assure you, that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath. In the region of Sidon, and there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. And so Jesus says, "You know, you want to come to me with this oppositional spirit, then the, you're going to miss the kingdom, and I'm going to end up giving it to Gentiles." You see, one of the things here is that is that this woman that Jesus talks about, the widow of Zarephath, and and Naaman the leper these these were not these were not Israelites. These were these were Gentiles, and, 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 and Jesus is just sticking it to them. He says, you want to come to me with this, this oppositional spirit? You want to get locked up on my past? You're going to miss the kingdom, and the kingdom is going to pass you up, and it's going to go to Gentiles. And so a lot of us this morning think, well, those, those people are stupid. Maybe, maybe those idiots who didn't realize Jesus was here to heal and save, those foolish people. It's a good thing we're not like them, huh? They were they were offended, they were offended by Jesus, and 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 it stole their ability to see what was being offered. And and here's one of the weird things about about offense in this passage is that they they were offended by the notion that Jesus would be anointed. This is what I really think. If Jesus had just shown up and, and given a little message and maybe read out of the Bible a little bit and sat back down and hadn't brought the kingdom, <clears throat> hadn't said, I'm anointed with the Spirit, I think everybody would have been great. If Jesus just could have been Jesus, everybody would have been thrilled. They might have even had a little party in his honor. But one of the things, one of the things that, that opposes the work of the kingdom, that oppositional spirit, it, it doesn't oppose Jesus. It opposes the anointing. You know, it's called antichrist. Jesus' Jesus's name is, is not Jesus Christ. Christ is a title, and it means the anointed one. You see, antichrist spirit, that oppositional thing, it opposes the anointing. Everybody's fine with Jesus. Nobody's fine with Jesus being the king and doing the stuff. This is where it gets really, this is where it really gets hairy, okay? Everybody's fine with a church where Jesus can be Jesus, but if the anointing breaks out, then look out, because then there's all kinds of this stuff that just begins to happen. Opposition comes from every direction, and so this is the nature of opposition, and and it's it's the thing that I want you to even check out your heart on even right now. It's like, you know, I want the Lord, and, and even now we go, these people, they're being foolish, you know, they, they miss the kingdom, and, and we've got it together, and, and, and so one of the things I want to tell you guys this morning is that it could happen just as easily to us, you know, we, we've grown up here in Kentucky, we've grown up in Bible Belt, and we've grown up with this idea, and, this, and and it's a true idea, that all we have to do is come to Jesus, confess our sin, maybe cry and roll around the floor, have an emotional fit, and then we'll go to heaven, you know, and that's awesome, and He will surely take your sins away. But if we get locked up into that, and if that's all Jesus is, if he's just the grand absolver, if he's just, if he's just this computer that we come to and, and swipe our sin underneath it, and it just you know, it rings up absolved, absolved, if that's, if that's the only thing that the Lord ever is, then you don't get to walk in abundant life. You miss the kingdom, just like these guys did. And it's a travesty. It could happen here this morning even. It happens all the time. We're looking for Jesus just to forgive sin and get somebody to heaven when really what he wanted to do was, was prophesy hope and heal some people. And God help us if he starts prophesying hope or healing people because then somebody's going to get aggravated because the anointing broke out. See, that's the nature of the oppositional spirit. It's, it's located. It opposes the anointing. It doesn't, it doesn't oppose Jesus the man. It opposes Jesus the anointed. They wanted Jesus just to be the man. They wanted him to be the carpenter that they always knew. They, didn't, they weren't okay with him being the anointed king because the anointed king has say over my life. These guys knew the scripture. They knew, they knew what this verse was about. They, they'd read the prophet of Isaiah. They knew that the, that the coming one was going to bring a government and that, and that the anointing on his life would, would give him license and would give him say into their life. So everybody's okay with Jesus. Nobody's okay with Jesus the anointed. And it could happen here even in this room. You see, um, there's something about familiarity that can, that can be a block to us seeing and inheriting the kingdom of heaven. Familiarity can be a, just a huge hindrance to a move of the Holy Spirit. See, I, I, um, I know this guy, when he, and it's not me, but I know this guy. Really, it's not me. But I know this guy, and when he was young, um, he played baseball. This is not me because I was a horrible baseball player. I was terrible. My mom can confirm this. I was pretty bad. But when he was nine years old, he made uh, he made little league. He didn't make the minor league. He made the major leagues in the in the little league deal. And uh, when he was nine, he was basically good enough to be in the major leagues, but not good enough to play. So he just played the minimum amount of innings that every that the coach has to let you play, you know. And he was kind of a kind of a short kid, and so they gave him the nickname Pee-wee. And and so Pee-wee comes back for his 10-year-old year year in the little league, and it's kind of the same thing. He's good enough. He's he's better than the minor league, but he's not really good enough to play more than the minimum in the major league. You know what I'm saying? Then he comes back for his 11-year-old year, year, and Pee-wee's, like, grown up and got all muscly and gotten tall, totally different kid, and now Pee-wee is, like, a player. Problem is, Pee-wee takes the position, the starting position from someone who had played their nine and ten year old their nine and ten year old season. Guess what happens? Everyone flips out, especially the parents. One of the parents of the dad who got benched because Pee-wee had kind of grown up, got so bent out of shape that he runs into the that he runs into the dugout one day and he grabs the coach and basically judo's him to the ground. You know, and and, and just has a cussing fit right there in front of the kids and and then he then he then he leaves the dugout. Pee-wee's still out, you know, he's still out playing his starting position. What's the point here? There's something about familiarity that wants us to lock people into the same thing their whole life, you know. And so this is what happened to Jesus. And, you know, Jesus, if you're a carpenter, that's great. But Jesus, if you're anointed, it's not so great. And so they, they, they try to kill him. They, you know, they were going to take him out to the top of a hill and they were going to throw him off. But somehow Jesus just supernaturally walks through them. So what I want to tell you guys this morning uh, is, is, is really simple. That Jesus, he's the bringer of the kingdom. He's the anointed Christ. And when he shows up, and he's here this morning, like even now. I mean, he was so present here during worship. We just turned our hearts to him, and he just, he just came, you know. It's really great. For some of us, it's the, it's, the, it's the only 30 same minutes we have of our entire weeks, you know. And the Lord just came, and he's here right now. And so when Jesus shows up with his kingdom, man, it's freedom for everybody in the house. Jesus says this. He says, you know, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's really what I want to tell you this morning is the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's within reach. It's as far away from you as your hand is from your shoulder. You can grab it. And and there are people in in the room this morning who are oppressed. You're oppressed by the devil. You're oppressed by... Anxiety. You're oppressed by addiction of every kind. There are people here who are, just, who are just beat up in every way, and the Lord really wants to set people free this morning. He's here with his kingdom. And, and what I really want to encourage us in is this vineyard. Church, we, we can't be those people who, who, who lock Jesus into just one little format and say, well, that's what Jesus does, and if he does anything else, then, you know, I'm opposed to it. Amen? Amen. Dr. Ray, come on up. Dr. Ray is going to do ministry time for us this morning. You guys have a good week. Thank you, Ray.